Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. This is BRNAM for Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. And our top story, shrinkflation hits healthcare. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Dr. Robert Pearl is a professor at the Stanford University School of Medicine and the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Robert, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. My pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this is a great conversation. We're going to talk about the state of the healthcare industry. I want to get some basic terms here. Let's talk about shrinkflation. What does shrinkflation actually mean? One morning I was having breakfast and I opened the new box of cereal. The box was the same size. The price I purchased it for was very similar. But inside of it, there was this container with the flakes. And it was only three quarters full. And what I realized is that in the face of growing inflation, after companies raise their prices significantly, and they still have downward pressure from consumers, what they then do, they just give you less of what they had given you before. And that's shrinkflation. And and how does this translate to the healthcare industry? Because with, I know you have spent your career in healthcare. You teach it at Stanford uh, and, and you know running a, a healthcare business. But how does this translate to healthcare? If you look at the cost of healthcare against what's called the gross domestic product, which is all the goods and services that we make and buy, and you look at it as a percentage. What you see is that from about the mid-1960s when Medicare and Medicaid came into play for the next five decades, healthcare as a percentage went higher, went up faster than GDP, which is common for wealthy countries. In 2010, it hit 17% after starting at around 6.5% in the 1960s. And economists predicted it would be 25 or even 30% by this time. And instead, it stayed at 17%. Now, you might say, okay, that happened because Obamacare came along and we got healthier. Except we didn't get healthier. We actually are just as sick as we were before. Actually sicker. Longevity, life expectancy has not gone up. Actually, in almost two decades, we have the highest maternal mortality in the world, infant mortality. We could go through all the problems, but that doesn't explain it. And when I dive deeper, what I found is that insurers in particular, payers, including the government, have shrunk what we get for the dollar. And so as a result, costs relative to GDP have stayed constant. But as I mentioned earlier, what we've seen is that healthcare outcomes have gone down significantly amongst the 12 most wealthy nations in the world. We're last in life expectancy, six years behind most of the others. Yeah. And, and you talked about some of these horrific diseases. And there, by the way, there has been pro, uh, progress made on treating them, but cancer, diabetes, obesity, which leads to some of these other things. These are very significant diseases and more and more Americans are getting them. You know, Dr. Pearl, we've got an aging America and we're all getting older. I'm in my, my early 50s, but we're, we have more people now that are older and will presumably get older. This is going to have a significant impact to our healthcare system and our ability to get healthcare. 
in retirement? The basic problem that I see is that shrinkflation is a short-term solution with a long-term negative consequence. If you don't invest in keeping people healthy, as you say, chronic diseases now affect 60% of Americans. And these are the diabetes, hypertension, and other problems that cause heart attacks, strokes, kidney failure, cancer, and so on down the line. If you don't invest in keeping people healthy, they become sicker and the costs go up. And as you note, with an aging population, growing frequency prevalence of chronic disease, we have a greater crisis ahead of us even than we're facing today. And that's why I believe that change will need to come and actually will happen. Not because someone says that it should, but because economically we will have no choice. Yeah, and I wanna cover that when we come back. When we come back, we're gonna talk more about shrinkflation. How or how can we change? How should we change? You're gonna to wanna to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Well, Dr. Pearl, thanks for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning. Great to be back with you. Yeah, that was great, great to, uh, great conversation. Before we get into some of the solutions, I want to ask you, how does shrinkflation happen? How does it actually happen? Let me give you three examples of how shrinkflation is happening today. The first is what's called high deductible health plans. You buy coverage or your employer gives you coverage and you say, my gosh, this is terrific. And then you get sick and you find yourself that there's a deductible. The amount of money you must pay before the insurance kicks in, $5,000, $6,000, $7,000. Half of the United States today cannot afford that kind of out-of-pocket cost. So what do they do? They don't get the care that they need. That is an example of shrinkflation. Another example is you see your physician 
And the physician says we need to do a procedure, order an expensive test. Uh, but I got to get approval. It's called prior authorization from an insurer. And you can be certain that the insurer doesn't make it easy. And so by the time it either happens, the doctor's given up, you've given up, or the doctor doesn't even try because he, he or she knows it's going to be such a hassle. And the third part is Medicaid. It's a program that was designed for the very poor in this country. Last year, 95 million Americans, nearly one in three Americans, belong to Medicaid. And anyone who does knows that getting care through that program is difficult. So in each of these situations, you have insurance coverage. You sh think you should be fine. The reality is you can't get the health care you used to get, the health care you need and deserve, and that is shrinkflation. So, Dr. Pearl, how do we address this? So let's talk about the industry. Let's start with the industry because I know you're training our future uh, healthcare leaders. How, as an industry, as a healthcare industry, how do we change? Can they change that? How do we change this? My personal belief is we're never going to change it until we change the underlying economics of healthcare. I teach the Stanford Graduate School of Business as well as the Stanford Medical School. And in business school, we learn about incentives. Charlie Munger, who recently died, said, tell me your incentives and I'll tell you the outcomes you're going to get. We're in a fee-for-service world. The more you do, the more you get paid. Whether there's any good or not, doesn't matter. You get paid as much for something that fails as something that succeeds. I can't think of very many places in industry where this occurs. And I think we need to move from a payment system based upon volume to one based upon value, based upon the outcomes, the clinical results that are achieved. It's a complex shifting. And I understand how difficult it will be, but I can't see it happening without that. But once it does happen, a couple of great things occur. First of all, it means that doctors have to work together collaboratively and cooperatively, come together to form groups to provide care, taking accountability for the outcomes and for the cost that's there. And when you're reimbursed based upon value, now you have the incentives, maximize prevention, avoid chronic disease, prevent the complications of chronic disease, heart attacks, cancers, strokes. It's great what doctors can do today to reverse those things. But as a patient, I don't think anyone wants to get a heart attack and have it reversed. They'd like to avoid it in the first place. And also patient safety. Believe it or not, medical errors kill 250,000 people a year. Misdiagnoses, 400,000 people a year. We can do better. And one of my big optimisms right now is that the introduction of generative AI, ChatGPT and its derivatives, not the current version, the one that's going to be here in five years when it's 30 times more powerful at the exponential rate that it's doubling in power every year. I think we can use that technology in a different economic model to make American healthcare once again the best in the world. Is there a role here, uh, doctor? You know, uh, states administer or oversee uh, healthcare plans. Is there a role for government, both at the federal level and at the state level, in terms of the vision that you're describing? Absolutely. I think there's a tremendous opportunity to, first of all, in Medicare, as you're well aware, there are two kinds of Medicare. There's traditional Medicare, which is fee-for-service, but Medicare Advantage, paid for the, by the government, and this year, passing in, free, in 
prevalence and the desire among subscribers compared to the traditional model, that should be an engine of innovation, of experimentation. It should involve the use of modern technology. It should encourage various groups to focus on the ways that we can provide simultaneously three things, higher quality, increased convenient access, and lower cost. You know, in the 20th century, we saw these three things as conflicting. You want better quality, you simply paid more. You had more access, costs were gonna go up. I don't agree with that at all in the 21st century. I think we can provide better, more affordability through higher quality and easier access. And it will occur when we can focus on achieving health not merely reversing disease. We got to be great at reversing disease, but that is when things have failed and we need to move upstream. I think we now have the tools to do it. We have the economic necessity to make it happen. And a major part to me will be empowering patients using this modern technology to make individuals more expert about their care. You mentioned earlier, chronic disease. You have a chronic disease, you have it every single day of the week, every single day of the year, and yet how do we manage it? Come to my office three or four times a year. We now have devices, monitors, wearables. We have so many opportunities, we just haven't done it. I think government should be helping to lead the way by creating innovative programs, linking in with the business world, the political world, all the different parts of society, because it's everyone, it's in everyone's interest to keep the American populace healthy. Absolutely, because the costs are just going to go up. Dr. Pearl, we're going to have to leave it there. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today. And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle wellness finance tech, so much more all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRNAM. We'll have a very special guest. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.